Hello, and welcome to the OCR Exams podcast, where we'll be chatting with a range of guest speakers from the world of education. My name's Anthony. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Here at OCR, we're committed to supporting teachers and exams officers at every step of their journey with us. We're also here to help our students to reach their full potential, and some of our podcasts will feature tips and advice on revising, preparing for exams, and managing mental health. Please remember to like, comment on, and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're using, and be sure to follow our other social media channels. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for OCR exams. You can also find a range of subject-specific blogs on our website, ocr.org.uk forward slash blog. So let's get started with today's episode. and I'm the Stakeholder Relationships Manager here at OCR and I'm joined by members of the OCR Natural History Strategic Advisory Board. Before we get started I'm going to explain briefly about the board. The OCR Natural History GCSE Strategic Advisory Board was set up in May 2020 and is made up of invited individuals from a range of our key supporters and organisations including Mary Colwell who first came up with the idea for the GCSE. We also have young people represented on the board and the board was created to provide strategic advice to OCR in respect of the development of a new GCSE in natural history, which was approved by the Department for Education in April 2022. The board currently meets virtually three times a year and members provide OCR with independent, objective advice, drawing on their wealth of experience as individuals with expertise in the field of education and or natural history. This podcast is a new exploration for us as a board and is our final item on our March 2023 agenda. As we have a guest speaker, we thought it would be an interesting topic to share with a wider audience. We are also producing a series of podcasts featured around the Natural History GCSE, and we're keen to engage and feature young people in these podcasts. It's really important to us here as part of the Natural GCSE development that we're inclusive and accessible. And some ways of this working for us include providing a young person's version of our consultation for our 2020 Natural History GCSE consultation. And findings from that consultation were included in our proposal to the Department for Education to create natural history as a new subject. We've also had excellent viewpoint articles from young people featured in our newsletters, and we're really keen to listen to and engage with young people. So it's a particularly special meeting today as we're going to be joined by Emily Hunt, who's the Warwickshire Young Poet Laureate, a writer and nature enthusiast. We'll also be hosting Emily's presentation alongside the podcast for people to view. So, Emily, welcome. Um, And can you tell us a bit about yourself and why you were keen to attend today's meeting? Thank you, Ruth. Um, So, yes, I'm Emily. I'm 16 and I'm Warwickshire Young Poet Laureate. And I was keen to attend today's meeting because I'm really interested and passionate about youth engagement with nature, because I believe it is so vital at this point in time with the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. And this is a brilliant opportunity to share my thoughts and findings about youth engagement in my local area. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much, Emily. Um, if you are able to start your presentation, we'd love to hear about all the work that you're doing. So I'm here today to talk about youth engagement with nature and my project, the Green Gallery project. So for some background about my project, um, I became interested in youth engagement with nature after attending a series of events last year. And these events were mainly panels of young people talking about why young people should be interested in nature and the importance of that. And the main message which I took away from each one was kind of a negative because um, they mentioned how youth engagement is, if anything, decreasing when actually it has never been needed more than now. So I was kind of searching for some positivity about this. And I decided to look into levels of youth engagement within my school, which is Comprehensive High School in South Warwickshire. And so the Green Gallery from that point became a sort of optimism, optimism, you could say. Um, so the idea behind the project is I ask young people in my school, random young people, um, if they have any pictures of nature in their phone galleries, because um each photo represents a moment when a young person has stopped and appreciated nature and admired a beautiful moment or a fascinating species and i've had a really brilliant response to this and people who you wouldn't necessarily expect to be interested in nature have many different photos in their galleries where they have stopped and appreciated something like um, for example, you can see on the PowerPoint, there's a picture of a swan, a picture of some lovely droplets on an oak leaf. Um, also, we have a picture of a baby owl, which um, a girl called Lydia found on a track. And she's put a nice paragraph in for us about how she helped it out because it was on like a farm track. So it was in danger. So essentially i've been asking young people about their personal connection with nature in an attempt to see how widespread a connection with nature is within my school because we hear people talking about youth engagement with nature but nobody seems to be actually asking the young people about their view on it so that is slightly the aim with this but also to provide a platform for young people to meet others with the same interests and for nature to be normalized as an interest too because um quite often you're ridiculed for being interested in nature i certainly have been as it's not necessarily seen as cool um unlike i don't know playing fortnite so yeah so that's the basic idea behind this project so what has the green gallery shown well it's shown that perhaps young people aren't as uninterested in nature as we think because as i've said people who random people seem to have moments where they've appreciated nature and taken a photograph so this is also backed up by a little informal survey that I ran on my private um, school friends Instagram page. And I'm followed by a variety of people on there, people I don't necessarily have a close relationship with. And so it was quite a diverse response. Um, but there was an overwhelming response that people aren't thinking that the school does enough for nature and that people would be interested in learning more about nature. So you can see from these pie charts that only 5% said that they definitely wouldn't be interested in learning more about nature. So this perhaps suggests 
that young people aren't necessarily uninterested in nature. There is just no way of them expressing an interest which may be there. And this leads me on to thinking about what is actually available to young people for them to express an interest in nature. And so what causes disengagement? So factors obviously will differ from school to school and between individual people because everyone is different. But from my experience at my school, um, there, when I moved from primary school, I left behind forest club, forest school, sorry, eco clubs, um, lovely green space where we had bug houses and trees and a pond. And I moved into a school where there was nothing for somebody who wanted to be outside and was interested in nature. And so there's a definite lack of spaces for people to express an interest and also a lack of outdoor space where you could escape to and um, establish that connection with nature on a daily basis. And also during the transition from primary to secondary, um, I definitely received an increased workload, which is understandable because you're moving to secondary school, but that definitely puts a lot of pressure on me and reduce the free time which I had to spend in nature and outdoors. And also I think that peer pressure definitely increases when you move to secondary school, that pressure to fit in and make new friends. And so focus shifts from interests which you might have had at primary school to trying to fit in and trying to be accepted socially. And also I noticed a lack of nature on the syllabus because whereas in primary school we had forest school, etc., in secondary school we just obviously have the subjects which we're studying, but nature rarely features. So in biology and geography, in the courses that I'm doing, anything related to nature is a very small section in the course. And so that's obviously where the natural history GCSE comes in because it provides that space in the syllabus where nature is on the radar. Um, but also to be able to spread nature across the syllabus would be really interesting, such as once we studied a Greta Thunberg speech in English. And obviously, as well as learning the English side of that, you also get the message behind Greta Thunberg's speech. And that is the way of raising awareness about nature and the climate within young people. Um, and I think also it's um, good to mention that I myself became quite disengaged from nature when I was kind of between the ages of 11 to 13. So I've been really fascinated with nature at primary you know, since I was very small. Um, and then when I moved to secondary, all that exposure to nature on a daily basis just completely disappeared. And it just kind of fizzled out for me. And then lockdown hit, and that's where I regained my interest because obviously I spent my time at home. I was out in the garden, I was going on walks. But without that break from the school system and from not being exposed to nature whatsoever, I don't think I would actually still be interested in nature, which is quite strange because it's now like my main passion. Um, and also, I think it's good to mention in terms of talking about what causes disengagement, the barriers which can appear outside of school as well. So quite a lot of organisations which people who are interested in nature will want to be part of because and they're able to support the work that they do and they're able to be part of some kind of community. 
quite a lot of organisations like that. They have memberships for young people which cost money. And obviously, most young people, especially not until you're 16, won't have a wage. And so if you want to pay for a membership to an organisation like the RSPB or the BTO, you will have to get that money from your parents. So people whose parents can't or aren't willing to um, give their child a membership to an organisation are excluded from that, which is a complete barrier. Um, and also in terms of parental input as well, access to nature reserves, etc., that also relies on being able to get transport from your parents or public transport. And around here, I live in rural Warwickshire, public transport certainly isn't frequent. So I'm lucky because I live in quite a remote area and I can just walk out of my back door and I'm in a natural space. But a lot of young people obviously don't have that. And also, I think that in terms of community projects which take place surrounding nature, that can be a barrier for some young people because they don't know whether they'll be accepted into that environment. So my village has a fantastic community project um, where we rewild spaces of mown green within the village and turn them into wildflower meadows. But when I went to that first meetup, there were no other young people there. Um, none of the scouts or anything like that. And you have to wonder why, because for me, it was a lovely environment and I really enjoyed it and I got on well with everybody. But perhaps young people are put off. And so that leads me on to talking about my ideas for what we can do to combat those barriers. So in schools, I've already kind of mentioned this, more nature content across the curriculum like the Greta Thunberg speech in English, there are ways which we can implement nature into subjects which aren't nature-based. And also setting up clubs within schools like eco clubs, gardening clubs, um, nature clubs, obviously. And But on the other hand of setting up clubs, I had a meeting with Warwickshire Wildlife Trust about youth engagement. And I mentioned setting up nature clubs in local schools to them. And one thing which they mentioned was that they find it um, quite hard to work in schools unless there is a dedicated member of staff there who they can use as a point of contact and who will organise things for them and get in touch. And so schools where there isn't a dedicated member of staff who will do so are unable to set up clubs um, in conjunction with the Warwickshire Wildlife Trust, for example. Also, something else which would be beneficial, but I don't know whether this would be possible, is less pressure on kids, especially between the ages of 11 to 14, when you've still got a couple of years before your GCSEs, because this is what lockdown provided me with. And that space from the pressure and the stress of life at school was what allowed me to regain my interest. So... I've also been looking at some um, wildlife trusts across the UK and some wildlife trusts do some amazing things like Wiltshire and Montgomeryshire are some really good examples of that. Um, Wiltshire specifically, it has a panel of young people as part of the trust. And that is a brilliant way to get young people engaged with the work they do. 
because it allows young people to feel like they can access the trust and communicate with the trust and they see themselves represented within that. And also more community projects would be brilliant. So community projects which are accessible to young people, which are potentially advertised within schools or within like scout groups, um, local youth groups of any sort, that would really encourage young people to get out there, meet other members of their community who are interested in nature and help out with meet really valid work within their community. And also, I've mentioned memberships, which cost money for young people. Free memberships where possible would be brilliant. Obviously, lots of organisations rely on the money that they receive from memberships in order to run. But where possible, that would really allow those barriers which a lot of young people face to be broken down. And so to wrap up my ideas, if we want young people to consider conservation as a valid career path, they need exposure at school because that way it becomes normalised as an interest and um, they can properly build up an appreciation for nature and realise that it is a brilliant path to go down because it's not necessarily that young people are unwilling to engage with nature. They just have few avenues to do so in schools like mine, for example. And obviously that's where the natural history GCSE comes in because that puts natural history on the radar for young people and allows them to access it and meet other young people within their schools who have a similar interest. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Wow. It was brilliant to hear all the work that you're doing uh, and how engaged, you know, other young people um, that, you know, within your school are and just hear all your thoughts and ideas, lots of brilliant ideas and, and insights. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to open out to questions now, um, although, Emily, do you have a question, first of all, for any of our strategic advisory board members? Um, yes, so it's not directed at anybody in particular, um, but I was wondering, so lots of comprehensive schools across the UK are quite starved of resources. Um, so I was wondering if those schools would have an incentive to take up the natural history GCSE, because my school, um, I was talking to my biology teacher today, and about this podcast. And she said that if they were to take it up in my school, that she would have to persuade the school into doing it and that she'd really, really like to, but she wouldn't be sure if it was possible. So I was just wondering if anybody had any thoughts on that. Emily, perhaps I can answer that. My name's Donna Burton Wilcock, and I'm a commissioning editor at OCR, working on the support materials for teachers. At OCR, when we introduce a, a new GCSE, Emily, we try to give as many resources to teachers and as much support to teachers as we can free of charge. So um, we will we'll put packs of resources together. We will put curriculum planners and um, lesson plans to help teachers, all of which teachers can adapt themselves. Um, we're also trying to put together a little introduction that will help teachers who are keen to teach it, like you suggest, to persuade their senior leaders in schools to allow them to do it. Thank you, Donna. That's brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to go to some other questions. Ellie, we know that you have a question for Emily. 
thanks. So just introduce myself. Hi, I'm Eleanor Lengthon. I'm a senior lecturer in teacher education at the University of Worcester. And I have a question from my perspective as a teacher trainer. I wondered, your Green Galleries project sounds brilliant. Um, and I wondered if you'd explored whether the teachers are engaged with nature. You've looked predominantly at youth engagement, but were, were there any questions about whether or not there was teacher engagement? And, and if you haven't explored teacher engagement uh, with nature, do, do you think that your teachers are themselves engaging with nature? Because I think there's a relationship perhaps between the teacher's ability to engage their youth in nature and their own sense of nature engagement and nature connectedness. Thank you. That's a brilliant question. Thank you. Um, I haven't because um, the Green Gallery project so far, it's just looked into the students, but that would be a really brilliant way to expand it, actually. So I know that my head teacher, um, she's very interested in what I'm doing and she's let me have an area of the corridor to display the pictures within the school. So I'd say that the head teacher is definitely enthusiastic about it. But as for the other teachers, aside from my biology teacher who I've mentioned, I, I don't really have any idea. So that would be a really interesting thing to investigate. I think, Emily, if I might just add that I think there's a lovely opportunity there for you to do a little bit of action research with your teachers. And I'd be very, very happy to work with you on that uh, if you're interested in perhaps yeah, taking it a little bit further and exploring with your teachers. Thank you. That that would be brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Richard, um, could we have your question? Do you mind introducing yourself beforehand as well? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ruth. And hi, Emily. Uh, I'm Richard Dunn. I used to be a state school primary head teacher and now I run a nature based charity called the Harmony Project, which is looking at nature's principles of harmony, inspiring a way of learning. So I was really interested in your fondness for your time in primary education and how much you loved that and how you really noticed that disconnect when you went to secondary. And I just wondered of all the ideas you've shared today, which was so interesting, which one for you would be the key thing you would change when people come, young people come into key stage three at year seven? What would you like to see done differently that would really help them to continue that passion for nature that you clearly had when you left primary school? Yes, so that's a brilliant question. Thank you. Um, I think that probably the most beneficial for me personally would have been the continuation of having some kind of club related to nature, because I think that that would be the most achievable for schools potentially as well, um, because what I missed the most was my eco club and um, the people who I met through that and the brilliant time that we had. So I think that that would be the best approach. Thanks, Emily. We've got Jenny Teague from the Wildlife Trust next. Thanks, Jen. So, Emily, it's really great to hear that you've already connected with quite a few of our wildlife trusts um, across the UK. There's 46 of us and we can be doing a lot more in terms of working deeper within our communities and one of our big priorities up to 2030 is placing youth voice at the heart of the wildlife trusts onward journey because ultimately it's not going to be us in sort of 30 40 years time it's going to be amazing people like you who are sort of leading the charge in terms of nature's restoration um, so I'm going to share all of your messages um, and that fantastic project of yours uh, with our youth activism manager because it sounds like you're definitely someone he'd want to speak to you've got 
great set of ideas, great powerful voice uh, that I think would be really helpful to us in our onward journey. And yeah, it was just great to hear from you. Thank you. That's that's brilliant. So I would just like to say that's all for our GCSE Natural History podcast episode. Thank you so much to Emily and the Natural History Strategic Advisory Board for allowing us a peek into the work that's going on to make sure that the OCR GCSE in Natural History is as engaging as possible for students and really to keep engaging with young people um, and just just hearing about um, all the brilliant insights uh, and ideas that, that you have, Emily, uh, and your peers as well. To everyone listening, I hope you found this episode interesting. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and students. Keep up to date with the latest GCSE and natural history news on our dedicated web page. And please get in touch with us if you need any further support. So thank you very much. Bye.